for this lovely family, and um, we're glad that you're here this morning. My name is Travis. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and uh, we are beginning a new series this morning. Um, it's called The Beautiful Church, and it's a, a series out of Ephesians chapter 4. If you've been with us already throughout this year, you've, you've heard us talk about a, a series of chapter studies that we're going to be doing uh, in, in the Bible where we're just taking four or five weeks to, to really go deep into a specific chapter in one of the books of the Bible. And so we began that endeavor at the beginning of the year going through Exodus 33 as we learned about being a people of God who holds central the presence of God in everything that we do and looking at that come to life in the people of Israel. Um, we're now going to be in the book of Ephesians and um, in studying particularly chapter four. As we dive into that a little bit today, I want to give us just a real quick overview of the entirety of the book of Ephesians in a very, very simple uh, and short way. And it would be something like this. The, the first half of Ephesians chapters one through three are really uh, telling and, and, and declaring some of the excellencies of the gospel and uh, the life of Christ. It's describing um, the uh, spiritual blessings that are given in Jesus. It is describing what it looks like to be alive, to be made alive in Jesus. It's, it describes the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles uh, between God and sinners that was afforded to us by the work of Jesus on the cross uh, and, and how this gospel is the hope of the world. It's for all people. And, and you see Paul praying these prayers uh, that, that we as the church would, would grasp uh, the, the love of Christ, that we would be emboldened with faith to live out the calling because of what Jesus has done. And so really it's a, it's a description, it's, a, it's an amplification of the story of Jesus and what he has afforded for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Then you have Ephesians 4 through 6, and it, it is kind of similar almost to the, the call and response that Andy was describing of worship earlier, where uh, it's like, okay, if this is his story and this is true of the gospel, then this ought to be your response. In fact, um, the, the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today begins with the word therefore. And, um, and if you've read much uh, about kind of an interpretation of Bible, the Bible and the text of the Bible, you, you may have heard that little phrase, like anytime you see a therefore, you want to look and see what it's there for. <coughs> Excuse me, because it's usually describing, hey, what, what is and so what ought to be as a result of what is. And so this is a particularly big therefore because it comes right here in the middle of Ephesians and it's describing the excellencies of the gospel and the glory of Jesus and what that's afforded for the believer. And if that's true, then this ought to be the way that we live. So the second part is about the way we ought to live. And Ephesians 4 specifically is in the context of the church, which is why we're calling the series The Beautiful Church. Of course, the church is made up of you and I, the, the followers of Jesus. And so there's personal application, but there's also a corporate way of living it out uh, in the context of community. And so we're gonna be diving into that uh, over the next five weeks as we dig into Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to go ahead and read it for us today. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As we read this and we, we kind of read through this, this therefore that we just talked about, uh, I want us to recognize the fact that we all live with, with therefores. There's, there's truths that we adhere to, whether we uh, mentally recognize that we do or whether it's just a kind of a, a truth about the way life works that we do that, that causes us to live with a therefore. We live with the implications of that. And so certainly... As followers of Jesus, there is implications for the way that we live our lives based on the truth of God's word and specifically based on the truth of the gospel, the story of Jesus and the good news of salvation through Christ. And so uh, some of those things are intuitive. Some of those things we don't know that we're doing. Some of those things are right. Some of those things are wrong. And so part of the goal of this series is to say, how, are we, how ought we to live in response to the gospel? And what ought the church to look like in response to the truth and the reality that's being revealed to us about who Jesus is and what he's afforded to us through the gospel? Okay, so we all do this. In fact, last night, uh, my five-year-old, lost her first tooth. And so she was excited about that. Um, it was a pretty drama-filled evening, actually, just like uh, she really wanted it to come out, but it was kind of hurting. I don't think it was really hurting. She was just nervous because it was the first one and wondering if it was gonna hurt. So it was like back and forth. And we didn't know if this thing was gonna come out or not. Finally, um, in bedtime may have had to do with this. Like, okay, now you're going to bed. We're not trying to pull it anymore. Um, okay, going to bed. So she gets up one more time. It's like, I think it's, I really think it's ready now. Okay. And so sure enough, we get it out. Okay. The house celebrates. She's lost her first tooth. It's so exciting. And, um, and so we get the picture and all that kind of thing. And, and then uh, she, she comes up to, to me and Joy and, and she, she needs to know something. And she's like serious about it. She's like, okay. She basically, she's like, I, I want you to shoot straight with me. And it, 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 so she's like, are you the tooth fairy? And we were like, hmm, okay. It's a very direct question. And we're not in the habit of, you know, trying to mislead our kids. I mean, it's not that, you know, whatever your, your thing is, that's fine. But in this moment, we're like, okay, yeah, you got us. You know, like we're... We, we're, the, we're the tooth fairy, okay? And so she, she's, uh, she's taking that and like, okay, you're the tooth fairy. And you, you kind of see her little wheels turning. And, um, and I want you to hear the therefore in this. Like, okay, so you're the tooth fairy, therefore, this is the question. Do you dress up? <laughs> and, and so now I'm thinking of her picturing me in like pink tights with little butterfly wings on my back. And, uh, and we're like, uh, no, no, I don't dress up. It's like, oh, hmm. And then she's thinking again, okay, if you're the tooth fairy, therefore, how did you learn how to fly? And she asks us, they're like, okay, well, we're just gonna keep talking about this. So, so we are the tooth fairy. Like anything she's seen on a TV or, you know, a, car, a cartoon, it's like, no, we're, we're, it's not your parents or there's no tooth fairy, you're the parent. No, you are the tooth fairy. And so that has real life implications about how you dress and how you've learned to fly. And, and so we're kind of helping her through that. No, no, we're not. We're not the tooth fairy in that sense. Uh, we're just coming, put a dollar under your pillow and throw your tooth away. Um, and so, 
Anyway, there is therefores that we have, and just like that we think through, and then some of them we think through, we process out loud. Some of them, we just kind of begin to operate in life. And it's like, okay, this must be true based on what I know. And sometimes those are inaccurate. And with all of those things, our hope and desire as the people of God who, who rest on the word of God is that it, this, this, this book really would inform the way that we live that it would be the truth upon which we stand and not just like, oh, well, we do this because of it. Well, I don't know why we do that, you know? Like, but this is the implications of the gospel and that we would take it to heart. And in fact, that's how Paul begins this entire section of the Bible. Therefore, if this is true, then I as a prisoner for the Lord am urging you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I, I love the language of this, just this urging. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Because if this is true, if it's really true, it has implications for the way that you live. And I think it's even interesting that here in the middle of the book, he's pointing out again that he is in prison. Because Paul is literally in prison writing this letter to the church in Ephesus um, where he spent two years of his life earlier and, um, and, and he's expressing how worthy uh, the calling of God is to, to, to give yourself to. It's worth it. And he says, even, even as, a, as a prisoner, it's, it's worth it. And that has, that has a level of impact. When, you know, even the fact that he's calling attention to the fact that he's a prisoner He's wanting them to know the heartfelt nature of how worthy Jesus is. He's worthy of my, my freedom versus incarceration. Like he's worthy. I give up the right to my freedom because he's worthy. Uh, he, he is even in describing that, describing that the things that he's writing are not necessarily safe that it actually might be dangerous to live out the truth, the implications of the truth of the gospel, because it, it will be opposed. It will be looked down upon. Uh, people will, will come against you if you really live out the, this following of Jesus. It's not gonna be popular. It's not gonna be mainstream. Uh, he, he's you know, reminding us of things that Jesus said. If they hated you, if they hated me, will they not also hate you? Like uh, Jesus in Luke 21 says, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. Like it's, it's not easy. And there's, a, there's implications there where he is saying, the things I'm going to talk to you about are not gonna be easy. And that's why I've spent the last three chapters describing to you the excellencies of Jesus, the spiritual blessing that we have in him, how we are alive because of what he's done. And so that everything else from that point is just, it's worth it. Because he, we are to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Well, what is this calling? And, and he really describes that in, in verse three. Verse two kind of becomes the how do we live it out. We're gonna go back to that. But I want us to skip just for a second to verse three, where he, says, he describes this calling worthy of you received. And, and here's what he says. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. 
So live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And here's the description of this calling is to make every effort um, to, keep the, the, to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So, so not maybe necessarily the first thing that we, would, that we would think of. Like, okay, if he's gonna talk about this calling that we all have, uh, there, there may be other things that we would think of first in terms of like lo- loving God uh, as a family or, or serving others or what it might be. But this actually encapsulates a lot and has a lot of meaning uh, that is, is directly surrounding the gospel and the effect of the gospel in the, the lives of humanity, okay? So, so it's this, this, this idea that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Well, I want us to go back to Ephesians chapter two for just a moment as we look at what I believe is being described here specifically in that it, the, the wording of this in verse three is make every effort to keep or to maintain the unity of the spirit. So there's already been a unity that has been attained and now we are being charged to uh, maintain it or to keep it, something that's already been established. Well, what is that? peace that's already been established. We see that in Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse 14, where it says, for he, Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, specifically talking about Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. It was at the cross that Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility between God and man. The sin barrier that, that, that kept us from knowing that the grace and mercy of God, as well as the, the horizontal barrier of hostility uh, between races and cultures uh, amongst mankind that we've seen throughout history. And so it is the gospel that has the power to bring peace, to bring oneness. He described it this way, that it would bring one new man one new person, individual out of the two, that it would be one who is in Christ. And in Christ, we would be one. In Christ, we would find unity. And this is something that was attained for us at the cross of Christ, meaning it came at great cost. The, the fact that, that Jesus um, has attained for us a, a, a unity, a, a oneness, uh, we've got to recognize the value of it by looking at the cross of Christ and the cost of the life of Jesus. He felt like it was worth it, right? He felt like there was something he was attaining in unity that was worth him giving his life, breaking down walls of hostility, not only between God and man, which he obviously did, but also between mankind themselves so that we might experience unity as 
the body of Christ. And there's many different ways that we as a church need to be proactive in, in unity. Um, one such way that we've been putting into practice over the last couple of years has come through the creation of our racial unity team. And as I said, that's one aspect of, of unity, but this, this team has been after something very beautiful. And it's been a joy of mine to walk alongside of them. We just had a, a recent conversation this past week about how beautiful and incredible Jesus is. And specifically in the way that there were people that we see in scripture from, from any, any number of backgrounds or re religions or places, people uh, like women from Samaria that he wasn't even supposed to be talking to, that he was able to relate with, that people were able to come to him and to know him. We talked about this gospel message which is just supernatural in nature, not only because of the contents of the power that it brings, but the ability that it has to transcend culture. Any and every culture in the world today and throughout history, no matter your background, no matter your skin color, no matter your, your, your cultural paradigms, the gospel has the ability to transcend all of those things. Now, missions has been spending the last hundred years trying to catch up with that, where we've been try, we try to bring some of our culture to the other places instead of just saying, hey, here's the, here's the gospel, here's the good news, here's the king, and now let him come and take over your culture in, in whatever way he desires. It's like we're getting out of the way so that he, in, in a supernatural, beautiful way, can do that. And just so we're just talking about this, and, uh, and I'm reflecting back on the very first time this team met. And it was an incredible experience for me as we're just talking about God's heart for these things. And as we're sharing different stories and things uh, from, from our own experiences, one of the things that comes out in that conversation is that we, we all have prejudice. That we all walk into this room this morning with, with different prejudices. That even in our, in our meeting that we were having, we walked in that room with different prejudices, meaning that we have things that, that based on our experience, our understanding, what we've been taught, the way we've seen the world, that we think about other people. And so we were just sharing some of these things from, from our backgrounds and how we kind of want to bring those to the foot of the cross and say, hey, we want to we wanna, uh, love people like Jesus loved them. We want to see people how Jesus saw them. And so that went into a time of then us sharing testimonies. We began to share just testimonies of how we came to know Jesus. And it was such a, a, an impactful time for me. As in that room, we probably had, you know, uh, people representing five or six different kind of cultural backgrounds, races in, in that room. And, and just to hear the way the Holy Spirit moved and, and worked, and it didn't matter what your, what your cultural background was, what your family background was, what, what color you were, it, none of that mattered to, to the Holy Spirit and His ability to come and to meet you right where you were. And it was just this powerful experience of just like, thank you, Jesus, and help us to just see one another the way that you, you see people and the way that you love and the way that you pursue. And so one of the things that this team, one of the primary things that this team really um, talks about and has moved towards in terms of having different events over the last couple of years is how can we become a people um, that, uh, that make all people feel welcome here? Uh, no, no, again, no matter their, their cultural background, no matter what experiences they've had or, or what, what the color of their skin or the culture they grew up in, how, how can they find a home here? 
How, how can we make sure that we're loving people where they are? How can we make sure that this gospel message is, is, is one that, can, um, that speaks to them? How can we get out of the way and create family in that way? And so we're always talking about those things so that we can be better reflecting the gospel because this world has all kinds of ideas about how that should be done, but we know that there is only one that actually works. There's only one that has the power to break down dividing walls of hostility uh, that as it says that Jew and Gentile has had in this time and has gone on throughout the history of, of the world, the church and everything else is, is the gospel. And so how can we allow the gospel to so penetrate our, our lives, our thinking, our, uh, the way that we see others, that Jesus is honored and glorified and everybody is able to come around those, those truths uh, to, to the table and be a part of the, the family of God. And so it's been a beautiful thing. And there's so many ways that, that I, I think it, take, it takes intentionality to go after this thing that Jesus has afforded for us called unity in the spirit, in this bond of peace, but it is, it's worth going after uh, because, because we, and we see it very clearly because it's in the heart of Jesus and it's right, it's central to the work of the cross. In Ephesians 1.10, just before this, it actually speaks of the ultimate reality of the gospel is described as the, 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 sorry, the ultimate reality is described as this gospel bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth. So, so this, this is ultimately what's gonna happen is to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so under Christ, all things will be brought to unity. In the church, we're, we're, we're supposed to begin to give a picture of what that looks like. Okay, so it will not reach its fulfillment till, till he returns. And then we will see the fulfillment, the fullness of unity. But the church is supposed to be kind of this foreshadowing. Oh, I see it. In fact, I think you hear that in the, in the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, you, you, uh, it's often referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus shortly before he's going to go to the cross. And we find him praying for us, uh, specifically the way he says it there in John 17, beginning in verse 20, is my prayer is not for them alone. That's his disciples that he was walking with in those days. But I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There is something that I don't think I'll at least say, I don't think I have completely wrapped my mind around something so powerful about unity that it is the thing that Jesus would pray for us. He just prayed just kind of basically this one thing, that they would be one, that they would experience complete unity so that when the world sees that, because it's so supernatural, because it's so un unnatural, because it's so impossible that when the world sees that, they will believe that you are God and that I was sent by you and that we love them. And, and so it is something for us to pursue, 
something for us to go after maintaining uh, for, the, for the sake of Christ and for the, the gospel witness in the world around us today. There are answers that the church has, that the gospel has, that the world desperately needs. And we've got to, we've got to pursue this unity uh, as, we, as we pursue the way of Jesus, this calling that we've received. Verse two begins to describe what that journey looks like. It says this, Ephesians chapter four, verse two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now that's, that's some beautiful language. That's, that's very like good biblical Christian language of character and like just humility, like it's beautiful. Humility is beautiful. Gentleness, uh, being patient. I mean, think of 1 Corinthians 13. That's the beginning of the definition of love. Like love is patient and bearing with one another in that love. And yet, uh, while all of that is true, this language also begins to describe to us just how difficult this unity might be. The, the, the very fact that um, we have to be completely humble and gentle. Or another translation says, you have to come with all lowliness and meekness. Being patient. Patience, uh, by, by definition, re requires a, a need to subdue your flesh and your natural reactions of what you want to do um, because somebody has frustrated you, annoyed you, or whatever else, or rubbed you the wrong way, so you must be patient. And then you have bearing with one another. I don't know that we're that good at bearing with one another. In fact, in our culture today, it's made it easy to not even have to bear with one another because there's a number of churches just on this street right here, you know, and you go down south of the 202, you've got two next door that have a few thousand people in it that are doing awesome things, right? Like, okay, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm tired of these guys. Like, let's go to this one or try this one or that one. And we actually don't even have to bear with one another. We don't have to be patient. We can just move on. And, uh, and I don't know that that's the call of God to arrive at the place of unity, if you keep moving on, you're never gonna come to that place of how do we unify? How do we work through some of those things so that we can actually get to the place of unity? Now, that doesn't mean that there's never a time that God would call you to another place or that there's something happening at, at a church that's just like, hey, we, we need to move on or it's not the place. So I'm not saying that that's never the case, but I think all too often, um, we can have the tendency to, to move on too quickly without going into some of these hard character learning places of bearing with one another, learning patience, having to discover the, the depths of humility, not just like I know how to, say, how to say what I'm supposed to say or how to act how I'm supposed to act, but there is a, a depth of, of humility um, where we're, we're recognizing we don't understand it all. And we're, we're being honest about what is our, our preference and what is, what is you know, not. And just there, there's a whole realm of just learning as we walk together as the, the, the family of God that's not easy, but something we're called to because on the other side of that is this beautiful thing called unity that has been afforded for us, that has already been attained through the person and work 
of Jesus. I came across uh, this, this quote of John Piper that I wanted to read. Now, it's, he's going to say a, a, a kind of a statistic. It's actually not based on statistics or like a study or a survey or something. I think it's just based uh, in his 40 plus years of, of ministry and pastoring in the church. And, and he says it this way, but for every 10 disillusioned church members, perhaps only one should consider leaving. Meanwhile, the other nine of us need to remember that even the healthiest bodies have strange tics and unseemly features, an unusual tapping of the foot, a frustrating tone of voice. In fact, and this was why I really loved this quote, this quote. In fact, if our church body does not regularly try our patience and oppose our preferences, then we may not be close enough to our church body. And I was like, that's actually really good because what of us in our families, our nuclear families or extended families, the ones that we're really close to that we don't really get frustrated by sometimes, right? Those are the people that kind of can frustrate us the most or that we feel that, that rub and that tension. And, uh, you know, as, as he said, you know, what, what spouse has not wished that their, their spouse would have changed their tone of voice and the way they're speaking or would do, like you feel some of that. So it was like a place of conviction, like, wow, if, if you actually haven't felt some of those things, maybe you're not, you don't know your church body well enough. Maybe you're not in there close enough to your church body because he, he ends with this, the head of this body, which is Jesus, is the head of the church. The head of this body may dwell in the heavens, but the feet still stand in the dust. Like there's still, there's still a little bit of a mess. It still can be a little bit dirty. It's still, you know, it, we, we ha, we're, we're, we're humans, we're, we're flawed. There, there's mistakes that we make. And so there's this, this challenge for us uh, to just be completely humble, right? That's a pretty big challenge. Be completely humble, completely gentle, all lowliness and meekness. What does it look like for us to increase in patience with one another, to bear with one another in love, it's, it means that we go there. It means that this journey won't be easy. It won't be easy. One of the things that we're hoping to do throughout this series is give some practical ways to, to respond to, um, to, to what we're talking about and going after unity. Uh, one that I want to share with you is actually outside of our, our specific church body, and it's joining together with other churches in the valley. Uh, we got a call a little while back from some friends that are, that are, are starting this uh, 24-7 prayer uh, throughout the valley. And while it's hard for any one individual church to, to, to really get 24-7 prayer literally going, whereas a church we're praying 24-7 a day, day 24-7 hours a day, um, and it's, it's though when the church can come together uh, that we can really co- cover our, our city, this valley, um, our state in prayer. And so uh, one of the words of God for us last year as a church was really to ignite uh, the boiler room, increase in prayer. We're not going to see the, the kingdom of God uh, move and come in the way that we want until we see prayer really happening. And then this year, we, uh, the, word of, the word of the Lord for us has really been around what we're talking about this morning, and that's unity. And so this felt like God just setting us up. Here's a place to unify with other churches in prayer for, uh, for our state, our city, our, um, our nation, nations of the earth, as well as just our church as a local body. And so I wanna urge you um, to, to join with us in that. Uh, the way that they're doing it is they're asking different churches to sign up for a particular day of the month and then commit for the next year uh, until we get to February of next year uh, to, pre- to pray um, during that time. And so um, on, on the screen, you'll see the website, wepray all day.com. 
And if God's stirring you to be a part of that with our church, we've committed to praying on every third Thursday. So it's not a particular date on, on the calendar each month. It's, it's uh, in terms of like the 21st or something like that. It's actually just the third Thursday of every month, which this month is the 16th. So it's coming up this week. And so we're wanting to get that prayer calendar feel, filled. You go to this website and it's got it all there for you. You just scroll down a little bit on the homepage and it's got a calendar there. You go to that, the 16th and you click on it. You put your, your name in there um, and your contact info because they're gonna be sending out uh, just the, the prayer points uh, for, for what you're to be praying for. And it'll also send you out a reminder of, hey, just wanna let you know that your prayer slot's coming up. This is the time that you have. And so um, we're, we're committed to covering uh, the third Thursday of every month in prayer, 24-7. So we're gonna need some of you college students in the middle of the night, or you need some of you business guys that are getting up at 4 a.m. to get ready for work, whatever you like to to get to to pray um, throughout that day. And we're committing to that and you're committing to that. So take take it seriously. Like, hey, I'm committing to this for this next year um, to to join with these other churches in the valley and and pray. Um, So you'll just fill out your your information there. There's a drop down menu where you can, uh, where it has different churches. So you can put Antioch there that that, that we're just kind of praying. and, and actually, there's still a few days that, are, that have some openings. And so if we have a great response, I said, hey, we'll let you know. We may take, be able to take another one of those days. I feel like we should be able to. So we'll see um, if that happens. But, but we're excited to join with them. I also just wanted to share with you guys because um, it felt very, very unifying for me. So, so last week, um, we did our annual State of the Church. I'd really encourage you, if you weren't able to be here last Sunday, to go and listen to that message because it's not just a message. It's just kind of an update on where we are as a church. Uh, that can be things that we're rejoicing in. It can also be some of the challenges that we face. And over the last few years, we've had a real kind of financial challenge that we've been walking through as a result of the pandemic and just kind of through, walking through that process where God has been faithful, uh, but it's been more lean. And so we're kind of sharing some of that. And, and coming into it, I was feeling a little bit of anxiousness about just like, oh, it just feels like it's heavy. But the, the response was incredible. I, I mean, the, the amount of feedback uh, that, that we got just of thanks for bringing the family into it and like, hey, we're, we're in it together. That's been a little phrase that we've had from the beginning of our church is we just want to be in it together. And we felt that. And it made me think of some of the adversity some of the things that are hard, it actually does allow us to come together and, uh, uh, and, and rally together. And so many of you people, many, many people came and shared also just like sparks of faith. Like there was like, hey, why, why can we not see this, this erase? Why can't you see this loan taken care of? Why can't we uh, just believe for some reserves to be built back up? And so I was excited about faith and, and the questions of what can we do? And so while we don't have a <clears throat> specific plan and uh, we're just saying, okay, God, what do we do with that? Uh, we just felt led to, to have give the opportunity to give. If God was stirring you last week, um, you can go to just our, the giving site on our webpage and there's a specific spot, a drop down, and we just called it In It Together. And so it's not going towards our tithe. That's still just for, for us as a family to be, to be giving faithfully to the, to the tithe of the church for the, the operating budget. But this is just the above and beyond if, if God was stirring you um, as, as a member of this family to be a part of. And so again, it's just this unifying, this rallying uh, that, we're, that we're able to, to do and that we want to go after, no matter if it's our resources, it's our time, it's prayer, it's having you know, difficult conversations, bearing with whatever the things are. We're just really wanting to allow God over these next four or five weeks 
to, to, to challenge us, to, to, for, us to, to, for him to activate something in us, to, to get a better grasp of, of the reality of unity that he's talking about, even that Jesus was praying about. What does that even look like for us to be one as he and the Father are one? And, and really, to, and then what is, it, what is our response to it? And so we're gonna be having different ways that we respond to it, but I want you to know this, that it is, it is a, a, a firmly fixed reality, that there is a oneness that has been afforded to us. And I, and I want to, to declare that by just reading again verses four through six of the passages that we just read. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the objective reality of oneness in the church. It is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. And this, this provides the foundation of our diligent efforts to, to maintain the unity of the spirit. And the, these things are not fragile. They are not passing. They are not vulnerable. And it rests upon the fact that there is one faith. There is one hope. There is one spirit. There is one father. And so when we're coming with humility and gentleness, that does not mean we're coming with wishy-washiness on what we believe. We're gonna say, okay, well, whatever you believe is good and I'll be humble and receive it. No, it's like, this is the one thing that we all gather around. And this is who we are. And we, we approach it with humility and with grace towards one another. But there is a firm foundation. There is one faith. There is only one that we put our hope in. There is only one Lord that we bow down to. There's one spirit that is working in and through us all. There's one father that we worship and adore. There's one baptism. There's one faith. And this morning, our response is going to be taking communion with one another. And as I look at this table and I think about the table of the Lord, that believers throughout church history and throughout this, the, the world have come around. It's, it's a table of, of unity. It's a table where we're laying down differences. We're, we're laying down pride. We're laying down preferences. And we're saying all that matters is Him. There is one Lord. There's one body. And we're, we're all in that together. And there's one head. He, he is the Lord. There's one Father. There's one faith. This is our hope. And so we are just going to be active today and saying we're coming and laying down those things that we might run after and, and maintain and, and preserve the unity that was afforded to us through the cross of Christ. So I invite you to stand with me and I'm gonna pray for us. God, we thank you for the unity that you've afforded to us through your son, Jesus. And I pray today, God, that you would begin us on a, in a journey towards greater unity that would bring glory to Jesus, that would, in this world, be so attractive that people would say, this Jesus must be from God. And I believe that he loves me. Or that there be something so distinct about the unity of this body Lord, would you show us, would you direct us and let it just begin here as we take communion around the table of the Lord. For there is only one Lord.
There's only one faith and it's in you. We thank you, God. So today as we respond, we're gonna have some ministry team members over on, on the sides of the sanctuary. If you need prayer for anything, we always wanna be available to, to pray for those who have need, a spiritual need, financial need, physical need, or believe for Jesus to heal, whatever it might be, we would love to pray for you because we believe that God answers prayer. Also, as always, the fronts open up. If you just need to come, even before you come and take communion and just get on your knees and say, God, I need you to work out humility in me, patience in me, teach me how to bear with others around me. You come and you just do business with God. And then at whatever point you're ready, uh, I wanna invite anyone here who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus to come and take communion because communion is the opportunity that we have as believers in Christ uh, to identify with him and specifically today to come and declare our oneness around who he is and what he's done, the hope that he's given. And so let's not leave this place without responding to God today uh, in all the ways that he may lead us to do so.